0: Welcome to Oh My Dollar, a personal finance show with a dash of glitter. Dealing with money can be scary and stressful. Here we give practical, friendly advice about money that helps you tackle the financial overwhelm. I'm your host, Lillian Kerbake. Let's talk about money. We've talked a lot about values on the show. We've talked about figuring out and determining your values as a way of using your money to achieve your goals in life. The goal of money, we've talked about plenty, isn't money itself, but to use it as a tool to live out your values in your life. But how do you find your values? How do you search for that? And our guests today have a pragmatic approach to determining your value system, a step-by-step analysis, if you will, and exploration of, as they would call it, your objective function in life. And if that sounds a bit dense, let me tell you that if you're willing to do the work, this could be life-changing, which is why I'm so excited to have Malcolm and Simone on. So originally a neuroscientist focused on brain-computer interface and the evolution of human cognition, his work is on display at the Smithsonian, Malcolm Collins felt he could learn more about the way humans interact with the world and each other by pursuing an MBA at the Stanford Graduate School of Business. There he met Simone, his wife and co-author, who at the time was director of marketing at hubpages.com, managing a team of 20,000 freelancers. Together, they co-founded the art commission marketplace, ArtCorgi.com, after which Malcolm became a director of strategy at South Korea's most desired source of early-stage capital, and Simone earned her graduate degree from Cambridge while working in venture capital. The couple now runs a couple travel companies with a focus on TravelMax, splitting their time between the North American headquarters in Miami, Florida, and South American offices in Lima, Peru. I'm so excited to have you on. Thanks for joining us, Malcolm and Simone. It is so wonderful to be here with you. So I just want to dive in. This book is The Pragmatist's Guide to Life, and it is both dense and exciting, and I kind of feel like I've only scratched the surface reading it because I feel like it has so much potential, but it's all about being a pragmatist, thinking through decisions for yourself instead of relying on emotions and societal beliefs. So what are some societal beliefs you think people carry around about money? You know, I think that we say instead of relying
1: on emotions, but emotions can be such a strong signal to you that you may be wrong about something. And one of the core beliefs that I think our society as a whole gets wrong these days is what the emotion of offense means. Hmm. When we experience the emotion of offense, It means that something has violated or challenged our worldview or our view of ourselves in a realistic way. And the realistic way there is really important. So sometimes offense can mean, you know, somebody says, well, you're not as much of a hotshot as you think you are. You're not as wealthy as you think you are. You're not as smart as you think you are. And if you have lingering doubts about those areas of your self-identity, you will feel offense. But other times, offense can be, this way you see the world isn't actually valid. And it's very important to recognize that you don't feel the emotion of offense if you don't think that there is a realistic possibility that the other person is right. If something is just ridiculous or comical, you know, if somebody comes to you and says, you know, something that isn't at all true – you don't feel offended. You're just like, that's ridiculous. And that's why offense is such an important red flag in our careers and in our lives, because it marks for us when we may be wrong about something that we feel very certain of. Because the more offended you are, the more you know certain you want to believe you are about something – And the more you are threatened by what the other person is saying. So, you know, if you're in, uh, you know, if we're talking career paths or something like that, you know, the people who get most offended about career paths are, for example, somebody who has gotten sucked into an MLM. And then somebody comes up to them and says, "Uh, this is a scam. And they flip out on the person because they have lingering doubts about the validity of their career path. If somebody comes up to you and you're an office temp and they go, this is a scam, they're not going to flip out on you. They're going to be like, no, it's just, I'm an office temp. This is Google, you know, right. whatever.
0: <laughs> right. It's like, I, I'm not going to be offended because that's just, it doesn't seem like a, a possibility that this is a scam to me. It doesn't actually, it doesn't challenge my worldview.
2: Yes. And I would add to that, that people, I think are under the impression that money is, one of the key ways to achieve anything in life. So before you do anything else, you should focus on making as much money as possible. And what we would advocate for from our philosophical perspective is to first really, rather than focusing in on making as much money as possible, which seems to be the goal of many people, just maximize salary, maximize earnings, maximize everything, to really focus in on the one, two, three, or however many things you really want to maximize most in your life. Because, I think for many people, after you make a certain amount of money every year, you are not going to maximize your objective function or that that which you value most anymore. And you may actually hurt what it is you want to maximize because let's say your goal is to make as many people happy as you possibly can personally, where you have to have that contact. But if you're Mm -hmm. spending 70 hours a week working, you can't do that or if you want to really take care of your family and be with them, again, if you're spending all your time focused on making money, you're not going to do that.
0: Yeah. And I mean, this is like one of the key kind of things that we talk about a lot with values and frugality, which is like the pursuit of money alone. If if your values are family, you're, you're not going to be happy by the pursuit of money alone, even if you convince yourself you're doing it to To take care of your family if it kind of takes you away from your family and it's one of those things that seems i feel like so much of your book is like if you if you think about things objectively and you walk through the steps when you're kind of considering life decisions pragmatically it all seems very obvious when you look at those micro decisions. But it turns out in our day to day, it's hard to consider those, right? Um, Especially if like society has told you that the only way to be a good provider for your family is to make more money.
1: Oh, absolutely. And I want to piggyback on what Simone said and sort of elaborate on what you're talking about here. Because so many people sort of come to this realization, oh, money isn't important to me, it's family that's important to me. And then it's okay define family is it your kids that are important to you and they go yes 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 i do this all for my kids and what's more important to me than money is freedom so that i can spend time with my kids right and then the question becomes will define success in this relationship with your kids what is it you really want from your kids is it that you want them to maximize their happiness in their lives is it you want them to maximize positive emotion towards you in their lives? Is it that you want them to maximize career success in their lives or some sort of spiritual success in their lives? Knowing what exactly is a success metric for family to you matters a lot in what you do and the way you achieve that extra free time you need to interact with your family.
0: Yeah, I think that there's a lot of very superficial ways to look at decisions around money, and like spending time to raise kids, I think is a very common example because it comes up for particularly so many women at a certain point in their career, where it's this question of like, do you take the mommy track or the other track? And you know, society has kind of told us that there's only two tracks, (laughs) or is constantly telling us we should take both. I gotta take a
1: quick aside here. Research into the field says that if you are a stay-at-home mom. Um, evidence seems to indicate right now that your kids are going to do less well academically and have slightly more emotional problems. The studies are kind of out in the area, but it's certainly not on the side of it being better to be a stay-at-home mom. I mean, in this particular study, just to add a bit more color, these are meta-studies I've read. Evidence lands a bit on each side. You can find meta-studies that support either conclusion. The general uh, evidence seems to be Male children are slightly better off with full-time stay-at-home moms. Female children are significantly worse off with full-time stay-at-home moms.
0: Interesting. This kind of comes down to the question is like, how much are you going to trust? Uh, you can you can study science till the cows come home to try to make life decisions, but if you don't sit there and consider what is the most important to you, you're not going to, if, if you make these oh, based on these kind of prevailing God, assumptions, then you're not going to, you know. In the long term, you're not going to achieve your objective function, as you would say.
1: No, so much of this. And one thing we talk a lot about in our book is um, this idea of standards of evidence and how you weigh different standards of evidence in making your decisions. And it's not even scientific evidence. You know, a lot of it is sort of scientific or expert consensus. And here's the thing. If Darwin had believed or had deferred to mainstream scientific consensus, over his own personal experiences, we wouldn't have modern biology or most of modern science today. So saying that deferring to scientific consensus is obviously the right standard of evidence is a little short-sighted.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, okay, so this, this comes back to something that comes up a lot in this book, which is inherent value. And this is something that you both discuss at length in the book, how does inherent value factor into decisions. And like I'm really interested in how inherent value factors into making decisions about spending, not not just inherent value of an object, but inherent value when you're making choices about how to line up your life as far as how you spend money.
2: When it comes to selecting an inherent value, I think it's the hardest step of the process.
0: And choosing
2: choosing that I would say comes down to first the sort of basic standard of evidence that you create. So you have to walk through this logical thought process for yourself. And it is very logical, but it's interesting that a lot of people come to different conclusions. In the first section of our book, we try to help people figure out their inherent values through a lot of thought experiments that help you think through those logical thought processes. So let's say that you think at first your inherent value is that you want to become perfect, as perfect as possible, like you're a really high achiever and super type A. And we may ask you then, okay, um, here's a thought experiment. If you want to be perfect and I can snap my fingers and make you perfect, will you accept my invitation? You may say yes. Or you may also say no. I don't think that that makes it valid. You know, I have to quote unquote earn perfection. And that means that perhaps that inherent value that you have is not actually to be perfect. It's to work as hard and strive as hard as you can to show that you've put in some kind of effort and what you really value is effort. So when it comes to establishing inherent values that really matter to people, it's it's just a combination of thinking really logically and asking yourself tough questions and making tough judgment calls about how far you'd really go for that value.
1: And and to piggyback on that a little bit, you know, if you're talking about specifically financial or business decisions or career decisions, you know, it, a lot of it can come down to, and this is one of the reasons why my wife and I live so frugally, you know, um, in the U S we have like a, even though we run a business that does, you know, over a hundred million dollars a year in sales, we live in a one bedroom apartment, uh, or, or a one room apartment. And the reason is, is whenever we make an expenditure, we think to ourselves, what do we think has value in this world? And does this expenditure add to that value? Does it maximize that value? And when you begin to think of, oh, should I buy this nice table? And then you rely on a heuristic of not how do I want to see myself, but what do I think has value? You often come to the conclusion of, no, I shouldn't. You know, should I buy a frame for my bed or just leave the mattress on the ground? No, I shouldn't. I mean, this doesn't have value. I mean, it maybe increases my convenience by like a fraction of a percent. And it will make other people think more highly of me when they come to my house but it doesn't increase the value of my life. Yeah. And it makes it so much easier to be happy with the decisions and investments you make when you see the world in that way.
0: This is this is something that, like, I as I was walking through these questions, I was realizing that, like, as an, an, a very type A workaholic, like, work has inherent value to me, but defining what exactly work is, is, like, I think that might be my life's work. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> one of... One of the things that I was thinking about, like going back to my own spending are things that I I talk all the time about how I procrastinate on spending and I and I hate spending money, even even when it's in the bank, you know, I hate spending money on things, and I'll, I'll wait and I'll wait and I'll put them off. And one th- one like very silly example is a new duvet cover for my bed. Like I hate the duvet cover I have. I've hated it probably at this point for seven years. It doesn't match anything. And, you know, it would cost maybe $100 to replace it with something that would like, I don't know, match the piece of art I have on the wall. And like, I don't hate it. But at the same time, I can never, ever prioritize that. And I can easily prioritize $100 towards things that might be viewed as less practical to other people or, you know, like, why would you prioritize spending money on that? But I'm asleep for all of the time that I I am. I look at that duvet awake for about 5 seconds <laughs> and then i fall asleep and so it just continues to not be a priority in my life to replace it but i was thinking about by the same token how much i spend a year on bowie costumes <laughs> and and Ooh. like a lot of people would like you know look at my glitter spandex uh, priorities and be like oh why does that why is that valuable to you when you know a duvet that you spend every night underneath Doesn't have value, and that everybody who comes to your house like sees and sees that it does not match the art on the wall. But whimsy is something that I think is really important and part of my objective function in the world. Like I think that bringing whimsy to the way that I disseminate information, which is is a really complicated way of saying dressing up like Bowie when I explain personal finance to people, is a really important (laughs) part of my objective function in the world. And therefore, it's something I value, and I don't even question buying Bowie costumes because, you know, I think out, I plot the purchases, but it's something that I believe is part of, like, what I am here to do. If folks want to go through this approach by themselves and read this book, which it is a whopper, it will take you some time to get through, but I feel like if you do get through it, it will be life-changing for you. Where do they head to go get a copy of the book?
2: We encourage you to visit Amazon.com and search The Pragmatist's Guide to Life. And if you need someone to help you think through these or question you and, and or just talk through things with you as a live person, Malcolm and I are honestly happy to talk with you about it. So you can email us at Malcolm at Pragmatist.Guide or Simone at Pragmatist.Guide. And, and we can talk because this is really important to us and we want to help as many people as possible.
0: Awesome. Oh, it's been so delightful to have you both on. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so
2: much
1: for having us.
0: Well, that gives you a lot to think about. That wraps our show for today. Our producer is Will Bromey, and our intro music is by Aaron Paracki. I'm Lillian Karabake, your personal finance educator and host. Thanks for listening, and till next time, remember to manage your money so it doesn't manage you.